filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues, including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. There's a man going around taking names, and he decides who to free and who to blame. Uh, so this weekend, my uh, my friend gave me a call, and he's got a kid no and a job, and he's been trying to sell a business that he started, and he's also got to spend time with his wife, and just in general has not had free time for anything uh, forever. But he found himself with a window because he's started to um, sell the business. He started to lower his number of responsibilities, and all of a sudden he has – uh, a pocket of free time and in the morning he was like does anyone want to come over and uh have some drinks and and, and grill something and i was like yeah i can do that um so i went over to his new house which is another one of the things he's been dealing with is moving um i went over to his new house and we drank uh some bourbon and grilled some burgers and another guy happened to show up he i mean we do that we had this conversation in a slack channel so it was out for everybody to see that it was happening and he just he showed up and he's just come back from living in hawaii for three years so it was kind of the impromptu welcome back party all in one um and it was kind of it was kind of like a throwback uh because back when we were in our mid-20s this was like a like a saturday thing to do it was like uh it's nice out let's let's get some booze Let's buy some stuff we can put on the grill, and we're just going to sit outside grilling and drinking all day. Um, and you don't—that doesn't happen anymore when you get in your mid thirties. Those days don't come around so often. So it was actually like a little bit of a time machine, but it was a very welcome time machine. I also had a kind of time machine this weekend where uh, I was able to have a four or five hours to myself because. My wife and my child went to the pool, and I didn't, and so I got, I had some time to just play video games and drink bourbon, and that's not something you can do in your <laughs> 30s when you have a child, usually. No, I did the, uh, so a bunch of my friends uh, all had second kids right around the same time uh, we did, and so several of us are on parental leave from our day jobs at the moment. And so we met up and had lunch on Wednesday and went to a wine shop that one of our friends owns in Brooklyn, Wardman Wines, and uh, had a wine tasting and a booze tasting just in the middle of the day on Wednesday. It was great. It was uh, not a flashback because there weren't a lot of midday Wednesdays when we'd go to a wine store and have a wine tasting on the house, but... (laughs) Uh, that, that was very much a, a, an of the moment and age appropriate. That feels like a mid thirties thing to do. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, so, it's a Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. So let's roll with it. Yeah. Hey, Hey, welcome in. This is filibuster, the black and red United and age appropriate or inappropriate drinking. All right. I'm, I'm just not the nostalgic, gonna the nostalgically drinking podcast. Yeah. Let's go with that. That one works. That's much better than any connotations that could have been taken from mine. We're all from Black and Red United Pod, Black and Red United dot com. <laughs> I'm Adam Taylor. Podcast. Yeah, just just you know, this one's going in the this pantheon, is a guys. Set of a different podcast, <laughs> it out and turn it into a, a new show that has more episodes than the old show. 
Yeah. <laughs> Just roll with that, too. I'm Adam Taylor. They're Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. Uh, this week, we are talking about the U.S. men's national team, and DC United is back in action with two games, because why the hell not have two games in a week after a, uh, after a two-week layoff? It's MLS. They do what they want. Before we talk about anything, though, got to ask you, Ben, what are you drinking? None of my soccer teams deserve any good alcohol. I went uh, this afternoon to one of Richmond's uh, local craft breweries, Triple Crossing Brewery, and had some good beers. But uh, no soccer team I support uh, deserves good beer. So I am drinking bourbon and Coke Zero. Okay. How's that fake sugar treating you? It's, uh, it reminds me of college. So, <laughs> nice. Do with that what you will. Yeah. Is your, is your bourbon Evan Williams? Uh, actually, it's Benchmark today okay. because, okay. Your, uh, your other, uh, mixer bourbon? Yes. The, uh, Virginia ABC store does this thing where either Benchmark or Evan Williams Green will be on sale, uh, depending on the month. And you just and buy the one that is there when you show up. It, I just buy the one that's on sale whenever yeah. I'm there. Uh, they're basically equivalent. Uh, they're both fine bourbons for mixing in things. So, yeah, I just buy whichever one's on sale. And this month, month it was Benchmark. Uh, Benchmark, for those of you who don't know, are the people who make uh, Buffalo Trace. Like, the, if you aged it longer, it would eventually become Buffalo Trace. And then if so, you aged it, it longer, it still, it would become Eagle Rare. Correct. Which is also a good bourbon. You or can at least age it differently. Like, you they, can set up your, yeah. a, a nice, uh, like a beginning of a bourbon tasting just from the progression on those three. People do that. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. So I'm drinking, uh, I am drinking something pretty nice. Um, it is the first rye whiskey to be distilled, aged, and bottled entirely within the District of Columbia since Prohibition. It's 1-8 Distillings Rock Creek Rye, and it's pretty darn tasty it's a very spicy rye that uh i got at wardman wines while i was up there uh on wednesday and it i i like it a lot it it made a really good manhattan earlier in the week and Mm. now i'm just drinking it neat and it's it's really good as well was it distilled completely in uh hidden barrels underneath benches in rock creek park I don't believe so i think it was probably in ivy city i think that's where they're located um, but it was aged at least 20 months in new American oak barrels. They, so that's... they, they are located in, uh, Ivy city, uh, which I know because I'm looking this up because I would like to acquire this product. <laughs> I'm imagining something like the, uh, like the, uh, boxcar children where they hid since those books were written before there was refrigeration and they hid everything like under a rock in a stream to keep things cool. Uh, that's what I'm imagining. Yeah, I don't think that's what they did, especially since distilling is not about keeping things cool. Right, but that's where my mind went. <laughs> don't question his process. Just let him no, do I, I have many process. questions. I have many questions about his process, but <laughs> I'm going to put them all aside and ask you what you're drinking, Jason. Uh, I'm keeping it uh, pretty simple um, because of yesterday's uh, various bourbon drinking um of which there was a lot. So I'm, I, I'm not not drinking an alcohol, but I'm having a single beer. Um, and I'm going with, uh, the Brewers Arts, uh, Birdhouse Pale Ale. Brewers Art is a Baltimore brewery, though they actually, um, 
I believe they've moved their brewing location to a larger facility in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are a Maryland-founded beer or a brewery. Um, and they make um, – I've had Resurrection Ale, um, which was their first big – uh, popular thing locally. I've had that a bunch of times on the show. This is, I think I've had this on here once or twice. It's just a, a, a classic pale ale. I mean, classic in, a, in the good sense. Um, just a, exactly what you want. The nice balance of hoppiness and uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of a malt note. Um, it's a, it's a, just a really, really good beer that could, uh, you know, it's not a true summer beer. It's not super light, but it's not heavy enough where it's not a summer beer, which is important because we're now having the, like, barrage of days in the 80s and 90s with high humidity. So you don't want your um, porters and... Not even the 80s and 90s, just the 90s, at least here in Richmond. I, I get yeah, a little break of respite. I mean, I'm was closer to the bay, so I get, a uh, like, a 5 to 10 degree drop. Um, in the exchange, though, what I lose is, like, the humidity makes up for that. So, like, I'll wake up in the morning and it'll be 80, but it'll also be, like, 80% humidity. Um, you also might be eaten by a crab. Uh, no, uh, Mar- Marylanders and crabs have a, uh, we, the crabs as a group, we have a, an understanding. You guys might get eaten by a crab. We've talked about this. The crabs are born in Virginia. Yeah, and they leave immediately because they know where to be. But then they come back. No, they don't. They get pulled out of the water yes. and eaten. No, they come back to to re uh, spawn and to re to the females. The, the females go back to to Virginia. Yeah. Do the yeah. males spawn in Virginia, or do they they spawn in the upper bay and then the females go lay their eggs further south? Well, they don't want to burden Maryland with uh, their death, so that's why they go back. And you guys are just ignoring the part where they go out to sea and swim around for a while. The sea is in Virginia. No, no, come on. No, I don't. I international don't. waters are the property of Maryland. I don't think they can. I do don't think that's waters. true either. <laughs> <laughs> international waters are one hundred percent the property of Maryland. I, I I challenge that. I challenge the validity of that statement. Well, if only if only you knew about the uh, maritime law and all those things. That's not your field of expertise, though. Is that my first law? <laughs> A little bit, yeah. You know what? We'll, we'll get Jason Bateman on this podcast, and he I, I know he has studied some maritime law uh, for a role he did, so we'll, we'll ask him about that. Can we get uh, Bob Loblaw? I, I would prefer not to get Bob Loblaw, um, and not for tongue twister reasons, but for other reasons I won't go into right now, and instead, I will say that in spite of themselves, the U.S. men's national team managed to win Group B at the Gold Cup this year and set, this, set themselves up pretty nicely for the knockout stage of the tournament, they wrapped up with a competent and entirely necessary 3-0 win over Nicaragua, but only after a bad win, if ever there was such a thing as a bad win, uh, 3-2 over Martinique is that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I can't even, I don't have words to describe this Martinique game. Aggravating? That begins to cover it yeah we talked last week about how disappointing the showing against panama was um so let's try to find words to talk about this martinique game um i i have to say um when i think back to this game the thing that i really was fascinated by was how martinique set themselves up to play this game i thought they actually 
were really smart about um, not just dropping. They weren't in a bunker. Um, they played with five defenders, but those guys were all looking for the chance, like one at a time, would jump into the midfield to add numbers to pressure the ball. And the U.S. seemed flummoxed by that. They also set up with uh, their two forwards and two uh, two of their three midfielders are set up as a sort of a box and prevent the U.S. defensive midfielders from uh, Roldan and Acosta from really doing much. Um, and I think those two things really they posed it because it was it's kind of an unusual look and it posed some questions the U.S. wasn't prepared for and the U.S.'s response was to stammer and stutter and then fall over and like fall over and then like also tumble into like a toilet. Um, they did not handle these questions. Well, um, the fact that they got out of the game with a win is already kind of, a, I mean, they didn't play well enough to win the game. Like they didn't really deserve it. And I feel like if Martinique were an actual FIFA nation, we would have heard of them a lot more and we wouldn't be as surprised at how decent they are. The fact that they're in the, Basically, the second tier of Concacaf, uh, just below the well, maybe not the second, maybe the third tier, but below the there's the USA Mexico tier, there's the uh, Costa Rica, uh, Honduras uh, that tier, and then I feel like Martinique might be bumping up on that next tier below that, and it's just that since they're not in World Cup qualifiers, we never think of them. That and this tier like, still should not be challenging the U.S. No, no, of course not. That that doesn't mean that USA is good or performed well. It just means and, that it, it, everybody it, it, else is getting better, right? And we're talking about you know a Martinique team that has numerous players who are like semi-professional players. They're not fully pro- professional guys. The guys that play in the Martinique League, which is almost their entire roster, um, those guys aren't making a living uh, playing soccer. They've got a few. Guys that play in like the French second or third division, they have uh, Jordi Delem from the Seattle Sounders. Kevin Parsonane used to play for the Sounders, um, but that's kind of it. Um, it this isn't like uh, a few years ago when um, Guadeloupe had a few. They had Jocelyn Angloma who had played for France a few times and had been a longtime professional who was basically essentially retired but still fit. And and they they had a few guys in that kind of league where. They had him, and then they had a few guys that had been players in France, and they had retired, and were like, oh, I can, you know, suit up for one more run. Um, Martinique's players were younger and less established, but I think they really, they kind of showed that, uh, you know, if you're if you're a team in MLS or USL or NASL, you need to be looking, um, if you can, find a way to look at this league, you know, send someone down, because you might be able to find a player or two that these guys are just trying to show that they deserve to be playing full time somewhere. Um, and during the game, I think John Strong mentioned that um, the a lot of the domestic players in Martinique, they're kind of looking to uh, land deals in the U.S. They say they almost feel a little more connected to the U.S. than to France. So um, we might see some of these guys popping up, uh, you know, maybe not in the next couple months during this transfer window, but like during the winter um, you might see some of these names popping up on trial. So there's a lot we could talk about in this Martinique game. Uh, the failure Everything to is bad. really yeah, push the Yeah, you can tell tempo. that I don't want to talk about it because I'm talking about Martinique entirely. Yes. <laughs> I, we, we could talk – and you can tell from my setup that I'm not actually going to talk about much either. 
But we could talk about the fail, the U.S. failure to really push the tempo against uh, what amounts to a lot of semi-pro players. We could talk about Matt Hedges getting completely burned for oh. pace, uh, yeah. getting nutmegged in the process. Just like he, he should probably hang him up and retire now. That as was one as of much the worst as I, I've ever seen him play, yeah, um, as good of a player like, uh, as he is, and as as personally likable as he can be, um, he he should probably just quit. Now, P- P- Peter Vermees should also resign because of Matt Hedges' performance. I don't think those two things are related. I don't follow, but um, I-, I won't disagree. Uh, Brad Guzan also had a, a pretty bad play, yeah. uh, allowing in a goal that they had no business getting past no. him. There's uh, something that occurred to me uh, in the aftermath of that game, um, and it was the fact that Guzan being an MLS may actually benefit Bill Hamid because now there's no yep. there's no perceived boost that he gets for being in England. It's yep. it's purely like for not playing for Middlesbrough. Right. So Guzan's suiting up for Atlanta, Hamid's playing here. Um the league is the same. So the level of cha- the challenge is the same and thus um I think this may expose something that we've been kind of, you know, everyone in every DC fan just about is saying for a long time that um Hamid deserves to be at least in the discussion challenging him rather than being seen as maybe a third string guy. Um, and now this is the opportunity because, you know, Guzan did not play well against Martinique at all. Um, and I will say, you know, I'll give him a nod of, uh, a a tiny little bit of defense in that he has been out of season for a while because he hasn't been able to play for Atlanta because of the transfer window. He can only now for the last six days legally take the field for Atlanta. Um, so maybe this, this mistake maybe is at least partially down to the fact that he's in the off season for himself, but, uh, man, that was still, that, that second goal was terrible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was bad. Thankfully, the Nicaragua game was better in just about every single way. Um, first off, Bill Uh, Hamid started in goal. I didn't say it was great. I said it was better than the game against Martinique. It's. A bar so low, you'd have to dig underground to trip on it. Yeah. And so the the game against Nicaragua cleared that bar pretty handily, honestly. Bill Hamid started in goal, and that is probably the single most noteworthy thing from from our perspective. Mm -hmm. He held a clean sheet. Uh, I think it was his first cap since 2014, the game at Ireland that did not go well. Right. Um, But in two of his three caps, he has clean sheets so that's that's a good thing uh outside of dc united focused you know hard-hitting analysis like bill hamid good uh (laughs) the lineup in this game made a ton more sense to me anyway than the lineup against martinique or even the lineup against panama it fit together in a way that the others didn't uh we talked about this last week about um how Bedoya on the wing just kind of killed whatever right. uh, whatever you're trying to do with Joe Corona as yeah. a, a number 10. Too many, too many guys that are conservative. All exactly. Along. And yeah. in this lineup, having Kellen Rowe and Chris Pontius on the outside and Bedoya in the middle, that it, it made more sense and it worked. When they finally got around, the attack did eventually click a little bit and it worked really well at holding the ball and not just holding the ball, but pinning Nicaragua back. Granted, it's Nicaragua we're talking about. It's not Mexico or Costa Rica. But the team eventually did look a lot better 
in this one and winning three to nothing while missing two penalties isn't something you you do all that often against anybody yeah that was that was more than a little bizarre the the missed penalties and and actually like the the way the scenarios played out where Dwyer grabbed up the ball really quick and he took a penalty that was all about power and not about misdirection or placement or anything else um and then for Corona to apparently grab the ball and have at least a brief conversation with Dwyer about whether or not he was going to take it and then have a similar penalty, but without the power. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Uh, I mean, this is the thing with penalties is if you send the goalkeeper the other way, then both of these penalties are fine because they're going in at that point. If you've done the work to get the goalkeeper out of the way by faking him out, great. Uh, but in this case, obviously neither player did anything close to that because uh, Lorente didn't even really have to extend himself. He just sort of had to get like over to his, uh, I guess it was to his right that he was falling. Um, the Dwyer one, at least he had to fight a little bit. Um, the Corona one, I feel like most like most goalkeepers in like a rec league are making that stop as well um, because it was just a really dreadful penalty. Um, there was a shot of Arena... Uh, that the commentators just sort of let speak for itself, uh, which was pretty great in the the reaction to that. Um, but the pen- yeah, the penalties aside, the, the performance was a lot more coherent. Um, the the movement involved. I mean, it helped that Kellen Rowe was back in. Um, that was a positive. Um, getting players into roles that they fit a little better was definitely a positive. Um, and and I think. Uh, to be fair, Mar- or Nicaragua had kind of missed their one chance. That they, they had put a lot on that game against Martinique that they lost, and that kind of they had nothing to lose. But there's also you lose a certain edge when you come to a game that relaxed. Um, sometimes it helps to not have not have yourself on the edge. But uh, in this case, I feel like maybe Nicaragua just sort of seemed happy to be there, and it was like, well, let's see if we can do something to impress some scouts rather than like let's try and win a soccer game. Um, this game had that feel to me where the two teams had different objects at the end. Um, and, and you know, overall, it's a satisfactory showing the U.S. should be at a minimum beating Nicaragua 3-0. I think that's a fair statement uh, with all due respect to uh, Nicaragua. But um, it did get kind of dicey there because, uh, you know, they got into what the 88th minute before they finally got the third goal. And it took a set yeah. piece on top of that. Um it was a little dicey, a little dicier than it needed to be, but uh, at the same time, when you take the field knowing that you have to win by a certain scoreline, that extra pressure can be a, a big problem, and they, I think they handled that side of it pretty well. Especially if you don't have a lot of players who have experience. If right. you take out, like, Bedoya and uh, Guzan, the uh, number of caps on the team as right. a whole plummets dramatically. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the fact that, I mean, Arena had to tell these players they were starting while the other game was in progress, not knowing that he was going to end up needing them to get three goals and win. Um, so, you know, it's good that he didn't make a last second change that he, I mean, that's, that's an Arena thing, though. He would not have been like, oh, at this last second, I'm going to shuffle you guys out because I don't believe in you. Um, because there's no coming back from that. Um, in a tournament like this, like once you tell, once you make it clear to players that you don't trust them to, to beat Nicaragua three nothing, then uh, you might as well send them home because uh, you're going to break them psychologically. Um, so the fact that he stuck to his guns and said, "No, this is the group; these are the guys. Uh, I'm gonna I'm rolling with Matt Miazga. Um, 
I'm going to roll with Pontius uh, getting his first ever national team start. Um, I'm not going to try and uh, plug in someone that I maybe trust a little more. I'm going to stick with this group. Um, and they they rewarded him with, uh, you know, like we've said, not a great performance, but, you know, acceptable, definitely meeting the standard required. And if they put away the if the Dwyer penalty is converted, I think this game becomes a route. Um Right. Rather than more of a, a little bit of a struggle. I think if that one goes in at that point in the game, then the U.S. kind of rolls. But they, they gave themselves a little bit of a a little extra difficulty. But uh, they, they in the end, they didn't shoot themselves in the foot, which is the main thing. Try as they might. <laughs> just the just the penalties. Uh, I don't know yeah. what... If I'm Bill Hamid, I'm like, what do I have to do to be on a team that can put a penalty kick in the goal? <laughs> Um, with any sort of reliability, because he's seen, what, two out of six successful conversions, I think, yeah. this year. Um, yeah. well, DC's two for four, right. and um, the national team with him on the field is 0 for 2. So, yeah, maybe he should, maybe Hamid should be like, guys, out of the way, I got this. I'm taking it. He, wouldn't, he wouldn't be the first keeper to, to take no. a penalty. He'd just Damn have him. to make a 100-yard sprint at the end of it. Well, no, you convert it, so then you're fine. Oh, that's true. That's yeah. true. You, the, it just if you don't want to run and you're a goalkeeper taking a penalty kick, then you better put the ball. In the don't miss. <laughs> so the U.S. is now guaranteed to avoid Costa Rica until the semifinals, and with Mexico currently, as we record this, leading Curacao three to one, um, very very likely, barring a major collapse. Uh, Beyond anything the U.S. has even done recently, uh, the U.S. is now unlikely to meet Mexico until the final of the Gold Cup. Uh, they'll have some new faces in camp to to make that run. Uh, Bruce Arena has allowed six changes at the end of the group stage. He has made six changes, uh, bringing in Clint Dempsey, Michael Bradley, Josie Altador, Darlington Nagby. Uh, Tim Howard and Jesse Gonzalez. Uh, so he, two of the six changes are at goalkeeper and you'll recognize the absence of Bill Hamid's name on this next list out are Kellen Rowe, Christian Roldan, Dom Dwyer, uh, Alejandro Bedoya, Brad Guzan, and Sean Johnson. So Hamid will be the only keeper to stay in camp for the entire tournament. So hooray, <sighs> Bill. Um, we will miss him. Yes, good, I'm but, sure. Yeah against Seattle and Houston coming up. Uh, but, Ben, what do you make of these changes? I mean, it makes sense. I mean, uh, now that you're in the knockout stages, and with at least the way the Gold Cup is uh, formulated right now, uh, it it's the way you get into the Confederations Cup. And uh, as we saw with the CONCACAF Cup last uh, cycle... Uh, you need to win a gold cup to get into that and to have a chance at qualifying for the uh, Confederations Cup. And it's a, it, the Confederation, Confederations Cup is not a, it's not nothing. So you, you want to be, you want to qualify for it and you want to win the, uh, the uh, continental tournament, especially in a year when uh, Mexico had to send a lot of their play, their best players to, uh, to Russia for the Confederations Cup. So it makes sense. And especially with the fact that um, Dax McCarty, Kellen Acosta, and uh, Christian Roldan didn't uh, impress as much as we thought they would. 
Uh, after the Ghana game, there were some people thinking that, oh, maybe uh, Dex McCarty and Kellen Acosta can challenge Michael Bradley uh, for his starting role. And then throughout this Gold Cup, we've realized that just why Michael Bradley is as good as uh, as he's been and why he's justified his starting spot for these past basically seven, eight years now. Um, so, yeah, it'll be nice to see the starters there to help uh, give a level of confidence, a level of uh, seniority, a level of uh, just knowing what to do, knowing how to do it, a a softer touch, and hopefully we can ride that through to the uh, Gold Cup Championship. There was some uh, pushback, at least online, on some of the names that are going out. Kellen Rowe, in particular, Dom Dwyer as well, Ali Badoya, even, who wore the armband when he was on the field in this tournament. Um, you can make the argument that all three of those guys had had good tournaments, and to see them leave now doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense unless you know that Bruce Arena had basically planned several of those guys to only be there for the group stage all six of the guys coming in were apparently um, always going to be the six guys coming in no matter what happened during the group stage and so at that point it's you there's a limited universe of of names to depart. And so I think Kellen Rowe and Dom Dwyer were always going to be come in, give it your all in the group stage, and then go back to your club. And so uh, even though I'd like to see Kellen Rowe continue on in this tournament, I also understand um, the the reality of a B-team tournament uh, that involves half of a, a starting lineup changing, more than half right. of a, a starting lineup changing after the group t- stage. So... Uh, I, I imagine we'll see more of Kellen Rowe in the re- red, white, and blue going forward. Um, he certainly made a good impression in this tournament, but uh, he won't be there for the knockout stages. So, Jason, how do you want to see him line up against team to be determined? <laughs> I didn't hear half the question. Damn it. Uh, with the lineup changes, how do you want to see the USA line up against team to be determined? Uh, it'll be El Salvador. Uh, that has been settled okay. since since uh, you mentioned the scoreline that has been made final. So U.S. is going to play El Salvador um, on Wednesday uh, in what Philadelphia? I think yes. I think yes. yeah. This was the one Gold Cup game that was drivable. That could had I decided to pursue going to one, I this is the one that to have gone to. But I'm not going to that game. Um, I'm trying to bring up the uh, U.S. squad just to make sure I'm seeing everything because I will definitely forget uh, a name or two. Um, I, I'd like to see um, – I mean, we know Bradley's going to get in. Um, I think this team has maybe – they could have used Darlington Nagby. Um, I think the fact that Bedoya – Bedoya played pretty well. I know um, we're not big fans of Bedoya as a, a person, um, but uh, – he played pretty well in this last game, but I think Nagby is more what they need in that role. Um, he'll be coming in. I think he'll add uh, some fluency and a little more speed and a little more attacking drive uh, as a number eight in this group. Um, and, and, you know, the added security of having Bradley as the uh, six, that helps. Um, we know Altador and Dempsey are going to come in. Every, I really think they should play 4-4-2 if, if we, for these knockout games with those two in the fold. Um and at that point, you get, you know, you've got Bradley, Nagby, um, 
let's see, who am I looking for for outside midfields? You know, Paul Ariola has done okay. He's been kind of quiet, but quietly effective. Um, maybe we see Pontius again because uh, there aren't too many other wide guys that, I mean, with Rowe out and Zardes isn't really a wide player and also hasn't been that effective, um, there aren't too that many other options. options. Yeah, there, there's not too many other choices. So Pontius may actually be in line for, um, well, I'm getting maybe optimistic because Nagby will probably end up as one of those wide players instead. Um, oh, yeah. I prefer seeing him given a little more of a central role, but uh, I also think that Portland should find a way to get him into the middle as well, but they neither team does that. Um, but uh, in the back, I don't think there's going to be any surprises. I think it'll be Tim Howard. He got called in for a reason. Um, you're not calling in a 38-year-old to hang out. Um, so he's going to get in the goal. Viafania will be the left back, just like he is when everyone's called in. Um, Gonzalez is probably going to start at center back with Beesler. Um, and I am guessing Graham, Graham Zussi will probably start two of the th- assuming he go to the final. He's probably going to start two of those three games at right back, and they'll probably rotate him for one of the other ones. So Eric Lehigh will, will jump in for that one, I assume. Um it won't be surprising. I mean, Bruce Arena doesn't throw too many surprises at us. Um, that diamond that he tried uh, in qualifying was it counted as a major surprise, even though when you looked at it, it was like, oh, well, that makes sense. Um, he's not a Jurgen Klinsmann. Like, we're not going to see a 3-6-1 with Dempsey as a false nine and Altidore playing as an attacking midfielder. We're not going to see something bizarre. Um, it's going to be straightforward. He's not going to, you know... He's not he's not even interested, I don't think, in tricking the other teams. Um, it's just going to be like, let me get my best players in positions they're familiar with so they can I can set them up to succeed. And that seems like a good note to go out on in this segment. We'll be right back with Jeremiah Oshan from Sounder at Heart to preview DC United's trip to the Pacific Northwest this Wednesday. Stick around, it's filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious... Oh, you are. I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back. Uh, as you can tell, we've we've tossed Adam off the show, uh, or he is doing fatherly uh, duties that 
require him to step away for a few minutes. So we're going to forge on without him. Uh, we're going to try our best not to go off the rails, but you know how it goes. Uh, if you've listened to the show even once without Adam, you know that we're going off the rails. We're already going. Um, so right now we've got, we've finished with the national team. We're going to move on to DC United, who are back playing soccer uh, after what feels like an eternal uh, break, but actually was just like a very short break. Uh, compared well, they're, to- they're at least pretending to play soccer. Well, they're going to attempt to. They're going to take the field uh, with 11 dudes and see what happens from there. We don't know uh, what that's going to look like. It might be bad. Um, First up this week is a trip all the way out to Seattle Wednesday night to face the Seattle Sounders. And with us, we have uh, Jeremiah O'Shan from Nos Audietis and Sounder at Heart. Jeremiah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I don't remember if we've had you on. We've done a lot of episodes. I don't think Uh, I have. Okay, well, I'm hurt. sorry. I didn't sorry realize you guys had. For... I assumed you guys never had guests. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess I guess Dave never tells you about when he comes on the show. I mean, you, it assumes a lot, right? He, that, he there's a lot have... of things being assumed in this, <laughs> right? Um, so I guess you don't know the drill, uh, even though I, I feel don't. like I wish I, I should. I no, should. It's, I'm it's a not, bad person. For not we're not that inventive. We like to think we're clever, but we're not. Um, our <laughs> Our standard opening with all of our guests is the question, what are you drinking? Well, uh, I went and grabbed a Thor's Equinox, which is a beer uh, from awesome uh, Odin Brewing. It is a great name. Uh, it's a Belgian-style dark ale from okay. uh, from Odin like Brewing, which is a, a local brewery here in Seattle. And, uh, yeah. I, I've always enjoyed, every time we've had Pacific Northwest guests on... Um, the, there's always a local brewery brought on with a beer that we don't have access to on the East Coast. So it's yeah, of course it's not. fun, but it's also like, I kind of wish I could have that. Why isn't that here? Um, yeah. But uh, I guess now I feel taunted more than anything else, but that's all right. <laughs> um, I guess that's a, that's a handy segue. Uh, Seattle was at one point kind of the DC United of the Western Conference, uh, really struggling, really having a, a terribly disappointing season, but... Uh, since like mid-May, you guys are four two and two. Um, those two losses are kind of uh, bad, re- or one of them's a bad result, losing to Columbus three nothing. But uh, overall, a big turnaround. What's what's this? What's at the base of this? Uh, not quite one eighty, but at least you know return to respectability. I mean, I think a, a lot of it is that they've gotten a little bit healthier, not a lot mm-hmm. healthier. They've had, you know, they they had a, a run there where they were seemingly struggling to get anything like their best 11, like that Columbus game that they lost. I And I want to say the other loss may have actually been the Sporting Kansas City game, uh, which was also a route. And uh, and they, they both those games, they, they were missing a bunch of guys. Uh, Jordan Morris and Clint Dempsey were both out from the – those were during the World Cup qualifiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dempsey and, and Morris were both out. There was probably some – I don't have it in front of me, but there were probably some other injuries. Um, but then weirdly – this last game, they actually only fielded 16 players, a roster of 16 players. Then they lost uh, Alonzo and Marshall in the first 22 minutes, and so they were playing. They were, I mean, they were playing 11 v 11, but they were, you know, they had two injury subs in the first right. 25 minutes, and so it was kind of a crazy game that they uh, ended up winning. I wouldn't say easily. The scoreline is a little deceiving, but mm-hmm. they got, you know, they were up 2-0 in the first half, and then they. Uh, it looked like they might give up that 2-0 lead, but then Dempsey had this great goal. So, I, I mean, I guess the 
there's a, the other part of that is Dempsey has started playing well. He's he's played better the last few games. Um, they just kind of and I, they also had a nice run of home games, although their last two results were on the road. Um, so a lot of it is they they you know early on in the season they had this kind of unbalanced schedule that was kind of road heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have really struggled to get. Uh, any consistency at right back, especially. Yeah. And you, you may know that they signed this guy named Kevin Leardham, who was at Vitesse. Uh, I, I suspect he might not start this game against DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironically enough, Brad Evans uh, may end up getting the start. Um, he's only started four games. After, yeah, after he Weird. just had like a big. Um, there was like a, a big thing where he was talking about how like I'm having to adjust to not being a starter. Um, yeah, and he, yet he uh, might be starting. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So it's kind of a funny. It's kind of a funny situation. So I don't. I don't know that there's one thing. I mean, I, I do think part of it is that the team is playing closer to its talent level. I don't think this was a bad team, mm-hmm. and so that certainly gives the Sounders some reason for hope. You know, you look at the second half of the season; their schedule is much more. Uh, you know, it's it's they don't have any. They don't have to play the power uh, house East as much in the second half, <laughs> which is strange. Um, it's strange yeah. that that's the way things are now. Yeah, it is funny because so the Sounders' record against the East is horrible. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, they they you know they at home they tied Atlanta, they tied New England, they tied Orlando City, uh, they lost to Toronto FC, and those are their four worst results at home. Those are all East Eastern mm-hmm. Conference teams, uh, and then on the road they've just been destroyed by the East. I don't think they have a point on the road against the East yet. So it's been it's been pretty. You know, it's funny. It's just a funny, funny changing of uh, of how that goes. I guess is the Union the only other Eastern Conference team the that Seattle plays the rest, the rest of, the of the way. I I think so. Yeah, I I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure that that and you get Minnesota twice. We get Minnesota twice. Uh, it's a like the supposedly the, the on paper the Sounders have like the second easiest schedule in the second half. So. Uh, and it's and it's it's weighted towards home. So I think mm-hmm. they have uh, what? So we got sixteen games left. Is that right? Fifteen. Uh, you games? guys have fifteen. Yeah. So I think they have nine at home and six on the road, something like that. So it's that must be uh, nice. <laughs> yeah, it'll be it, hopefully. Uh, well, next next season, DC United will be the first. Uh, what 16, 16 at home, and then sixteen or sixteen away, and then sixteen home, or seventeen away, seventeen right. away, and then seventeen it, home. It would be kind of funny if they did sixteen on the road and then had one random road game uh, in the middle Pro- prob- of all that. Probably a so when, is the, is that, when is the stadium supposed to open in mid middle Ju- of the season? They've they've continued to say June, um, which uh, I mean they've started to put. Object, like you can go online and see the camera and see like actual uh, steel supports going into the ground and, and all that, which is pretty cool to see. But it's also like June isn't that far away. Um, right. So no. for, I, I think maybe year. yeah, like the calendar I, anyway. I think like not knowing more about construction is maybe helping me feel more optimistic because the more <laughs> I knew, I'd probably be <laughs> less optimistic. But uh, yeah, if you ask people around here, a lot of times the suspicion is that. Last season at RFK might not actually apply, but the team has never wavered. They're like, we are going to play there. All, all of our games are going to be at Buzzard Point in 2018. Uh, it's going to be. It's going to be. We don't have a backup plan, etc. Sixteen away, a couple home, then a midweek game oh, yeah. in Seattle or Portland right. or something, and then the rest home. Yeah. Well, no. This is this is our. Um, anyway, we're we're talking too much about DC. We can talk about them in the next subject. 
Um, th- this is what this is what happens when Adam's not around. Is that uh, we get lost. Um, I guess what comes to mind when I'm looking at the Sounders right now is this is. I mean, you guys are no longer a goal scoring juggernaut like at the end no. of last year. It seemed like. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, relative to DC United, the fact that you guys have 25 goals on the season and have two players with more than five goals, it's like, you know, it's like going over to, like, an upper-middle-class person's house when you live, you're like the guy with the uh, barrel with suspenders. Um, and it's like, wow, this is really nice. Um, you've, you mentioned... What, you got plumbing in this thing, huh? <laughs> yeah. <like the laughs> four you walls. You got a flushing toilet. <laughs> a roof. Um... But yeah, like, I look at the, the fact that Clint Dempsey's coming around, um, having, I guess he, what, what he, he was coming into the month with four or five goals, and then all of a sudden he scores two more, uh, pretty quickly. Um, yeah, three I, goals I, in the last two games. Yeah. So, you know, he's turning it on. Um, but that understanding that was there with him and Lodero last year, where um, there was that brief period where they were both available before his yeah. uh, Dempsey's heart problem, where the Stounders look borderline unstoppable. Um, where yeah. are they? Where is their understanding, do you, in your opinion, right now, compared to those heights of last year? You know, it's funny. Uh, this has been kind of an ongoing debate in in the world of Soundersdom, uh, mm-hmm. if you will. And it, you know, I when I look at it, I look at those four games, and you look at the, you know, the, whatever the thirteen games they've played together this year, and. And Dempsey has something like, or I guess it's, he, he's, they played 20 games together. Dempsey mm-hmm. has 12 goals in those 20 games. I mean, that's, that's pretty that's good. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. You know, if he, if he maintains that pace, you know, he's a golden, maybe not this year, but normally in a normal year, he'd be a golden boot contender. Right. Um, and I mean, so it's like, it's so when people say, oh, Ladero and Dempsey, uh, they, they don't seem like they play to, can play together. And it's like, by what, like, how are you coming to this conclusion other than mm. you watched them play a couple games where they didn't score? Right. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't know that they're understanding. Like, they don't have the same kind of interchange that him and Oba had, which really did seem yeah. like this, like, surreal level of understanding. And they're not – but it's a whole different style of play. I mean, the way that the Sounders played when Dempsey and Oba were together was just – it was a lot of one-twos and it was a lot of combos with with individual players and maybe a, a triangle would form – but it was it wasn't this whole kind of like let's use the whole field and make sure we get all eleven guys touching the ball, and the Sounders try to play a little bit more that way. And Ladero is kind of a player that facilitates that style a little bit more. So you don't see the interchange between Dempsey and Ladero the way that you would see the interchange between Dempsey and, and Martins. And I guess that's maybe the way people are are judging that. Mm. But I, I, I mean, I think that they're reasonably complementary players uh, to the degree that they can be. Uh, you know, they kind of occupy similar levels in the field. You know, they're both ostensibly in the midfield, but the way that the Sounders are deploying them. Dempsey mm. drops back a ton. Uh, but Ladero kind of plays this almost free role where he just goes wherever he wants and, and, and kind of the other team has to react to him and Dempsey can kind of be that way too. So it, it, it's hard to kind of nail down what formation they're really playing at any given time. That said, I think that they're very, like the team is productive when they're both on the field together, and uh, you know, and I think if there's an issue, it's more that Jordan Morris has not come anywhere near playing as well as he did with Ladero. Whether it was with Dempsey and Ladero because he was actually playing pretty good during that four game stretch, mm-hmm. or with just Ladero because he played really well when it was just him and Ladero uh, late last season. 
So I, I, I think if there's one kind of missing cog in this whole thing, it's it's not so much like I'm not worried about Dempsey and Ladero figuring each other out. Like they whatever. They they coexist enough that to like I don't ever feel like they're like they're not keeping the ball from each other or whatever. Uh and this is like kind of the discussions that we would have when Montero and EJ were playing together. Mm-hmm. Um that said, I think oh, you know, if, if there's a I know, poor poor one out for EJ. Um it's uh you know, I, I think that the, if the Sounders have one glaring issue right now on offense, it's like how do we make how do we make use of Jordan Morris right now? Because the reality is they look better with Bruin on the field, but you know inherently that they are so much more explosive. Right, they're so much more potent potentially if you can get Morris going as a nine, and then you bring someone else in to play outside. But it looks like what they're going to be doing, at least for the short term, if not for the whole season from here on out, is trying to figure out how to get uh, Bruin to be the nine and Morris to be like a, a left wing and then Dempsey and Ladero. You know, I, I it makes sense from a like, let's get everyone we can on the field together. I don't know that it's right now. It's It doesn't look like it's their most effective formation, mm. which we're not going to see on Wednesday anyway. So why are we talking about it, I guess, right? I don't know. <laughs> So, uh, DC United and the Seattle Sounders both have experience with, uh, aging center backs who, uh, seemed to be surplus parts, but are, uh, trying to plug away. Uh, Seattle's version seems to be doing better right now, uh, even though he went off injured in the last game. How is Chad Marshall doing? And do you think he's gonna, to, uh, finish this entire year as the starting center back? Is he gonna be the starter next year? We were just talking about this, like, trying to put together, like, who do we think the core of the Sounders are going into 2018. And, I, you know, like, this was kind of a freak injury. Like, it wasn't like, oh, here we go again. Chad Marshall has some knee injury or whatever. I mean, he got kicked in the ankle and he's, you know, he might be out for a, a few weeks with this ankle injury. But he's been really good this year. I mean, he's been, like, you know. The, Unlike Bobby. Right, like I, I don't like honestly, I, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage the great Bobby Boswell, but like Chad Marshall and Bobby Boswell don't deserve to be in a sentence together. The, uh, there was a stretch they, of, there was a stretch of three games where Marshall didn't misplace a pass. Right, right, there were, right, there whereas, were, yeah, I mean, like and the it's main not like com- attempting, you know, right. crazy passes, but he, yeah, I mean, he's yeah. he's he's been as good. Like he's not going to win Defensive Player of the Year this year. But he's been like, if you watch one game, you wouldn't say like, "Oh, what happened to Chad Marshall?" Two thousand fourteen, fourteen, whatever. Yeah, but in in two thousand fourteen, at least they were, at least had a similar. How dare you, sir? How (laughs) dare you? They're gonna rename the Defensive Player of the Year award the Chad Marshall Award when he retires, <laughs> and that you would even dare to put him in a sentence with Bobby Boswell is offensive no, to me. They're gonna name that the Landon Donovan Award too. We need to figure out, uh, our listeners should try and send us, what award would you give out that would be the Bobby Boswell Award? <laughs> um, I want to know what people think, because that, that there's a wide variety of things that could be. And then I guess my other question is, we, I mean, we were talking about it uh, with regard to Jordan Morris, and obviously he has to be on the field. Uh, do you think they're going to try a formation change to try and get him on there as a two-forward formation in Seattle's future I mean, or I, is it, it just a roll of the dice at this point? 
problem with the problem with that is uh is like okay so what do you do with clint dempsey are you like you're not gonna go like i don't think like it doesn't make sense to play a, a diamond formation with with bruin and uh morris up top and and dempsey as a 10 and then you put ladero as a shuttler out on one of the, the you know as an effectively as an eight like that's not gonna Right. You know, why are you gonna? You wouldn't do that, right? So I, I don't think I don't know what for. Like I don't know that there is a formational solution because, like, as long as you're committed to having those four pieces on the field together, like, there's just not really a formation that gets everyone into like their perfect position. Now, the solution I think is to use Bruin off the bench as like a super sub, mm. and then and then you do whatever you do at the end of the games when you need them. Uh, and and the, really, he's got six goals. Half of them were off the bench this year, so that's not a role that would be ill suited for him. It's just that he's playing so well that you kind of need to start him. Uh, and, and but the problem is that like, what do you so what do you do with this left midfield? And right now, no, like you're not going to take Will Bruin off to put Harry Ship on as your left midfielder. Uh, essentially, right now, I mean that's kind of the decision that they're faced with. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that there is a formational solution. I mean, this game is going to be interesting because what we'll see is we'll see Bruin up top. We'll probably see Ladero in the middle, and then we might see Jovan Jones as a left mid. We might see oh, Aaron Kovar no. as a can, can, as a can, right can mid. Can you not with Jovan Jones? Can we just not, Wait, please? We're we're describing so many things that are just bringing back bad memories. Um, for DC, I, I think the actual solution is just to trade Will Bruin to DC United, and then you don't have any problems anymore. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> What, and that would just do a Lamar actually, Nagel for Will Bruin swap, right? I'm sure you that sure. would actually yes, yes. right. I'm sure have a lot love of takers because uh, people in people in DC. I don't know how much you guys in Seattle know about this, but Will Bruin, when he played for the Houston Dynamo, was pretty much guaranteed to score against DC United, no matter how well or poorly either team was playing. It just didn't matter. He could be go. He could go ten games without firing a shot. Uh, at all. He could look totally incompetent, and then he would play DC, and he would look like uh, a guy that could score 30 goals in a season. Um, and it just, it didn't matter. It's like a charmed thing that is unstoppable, and, and the fact that he is, I mean, barring injury uh, between now and kickoff, he's going to start this game on Wednesday. Oh, he'll um, start, yeah. And yeah. Even if he, as we've learned, even if he's injured, I mean, he played three and, games with this, like, immobilizing right. cast on his on Yeah, his the, like, arm. bionic elbow thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, he's I mean, he's got six goals in 803 minutes, which is kind of his like DC United. Uh, it's like he's playing DC United every, every minute that he plays. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like a it's like a multiplier. I feel like he's going to score like seven goals in this game. Um, I mean, I hope you're right. Uh, frankly, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Is the thing it'd be like, oh, Will Bruin scoring great. Okay, that's not that's not a thing that I uh, possibly could have imagined. Um, how how. Have it seems? I mean, obviously the stats point to him fitting in, um, but that whole group playing off of him as a target man. How has that worked for Seattle? Given that last year was much more about breaking out and playing on trend, playing in transition. Now it's more find the guy that's going to post up. Yeah, I mean they're definitely not getting out in transition the way that they were uh, at their best last year. There's just no way around that. And I and I don't know that I like. I don't. I would love to say that it's because like oh, because they're playing into Will Bruin. They're playing, they've built around Will Bruin, but no, uh, Will Bruin has just kind of been able to like fit in a little bit more effectively with what, how they've been kind of forced to play. And they've been kind of forced. I think they want to hold, they want to have the ball a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. And part of having the ball is you gotta have, you gotta be able to, 
you got to be able to get it forward too. And Will Bruin has been very effective at kind of being able to hold up the ball. And he's been like, he's been the guy who's been willing to just kind of push the line. Like he, he has games where he has like 15 or 20 touches and you forget that he played, except you go back and watch the film and he like was everything right. Like he, Mm -hmm. he was pulling center backs out of position. He was, you know, extending the field. He was creating space. He's like knocking balls down. Uh, and so he's just had this very kind of, and I haven't necessarily, I'd never really thought of him as a, as like that kind of target forward, but he's been very much that. And a lot of his goals are just like crashing, you know, crashing the goal and, and like getting on the end of some slop. Um, mm-hmm. so he's like, he's, he's been really effective for the Sounders. You know, I, I think there was a lot of people, myself included, that were kind of skeptical that he was really anything to get excited about, but it's kind of scary, uh, where the Sounders would be right now if, if he hadn't been, uh, if they hadn't got him in, I mean, I, it doesn't look as bad now, but you know, you, I think his first five goals netted the Sounders five points, which is a pretty good return. You know, you net a yeah. goal a point uh, or point a goal off of uh, one player. And the difference between in five points is basically the difference between where the Sounders are and where RSL is. And it's kind of stark right. when you think of it that way, that Sounders are RSL without, you know, this was, before last week. I don't know if it still holds up, but um, anyway. So, yeah, he's been good for him. Uh, yeah, actually, if if Will Bruin hadn't contributed those goals and, and Seattle hadn't gotten those points, RSL would actually be one point ahead of Seattle. Yeah, um, exactly. uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, this isn't, for, for anyone with the long history of dealing with Will Bruin and DC United, this is not going to help you sleep at all, because <laughs> it it just it just it it's all pointing to like Wilbur and Hattrick uh, as Seattle beats DC three nothing or maybe three one. Um, I'm willing to give DC score? maybe a goal, <laughs> no. maybe. Um, no. I don't like they, you guys like uh, doing this. This is like I feel like you're rope doping me into. Yeah, this is all know. we've got. Like like all we've got is like trying to game the like the fates is yeah. all we've really got at this point. Like it, the team just hasn't given us reason to believe that. Gaming the fates is not our shouldn't be num- like job number one for all fans. If you've got your uh, anti Will Bruin shrine in your house, you should be burning incense and giving it sa- sacrificial shots of whiskey or whatever your shrine Lots of demands. Sage. Be, be burning sage, please. Um, Jeremiah, I guess you know we're looking at this game coming during the Gold Cup. All sorts of players are are being called in, and you've including you're... DC United's best player. Right, but but also, you know, you mentioned um, the injuries, you know, with Marshall being uh, dealing with the, this uh, this injury, Alonso having to leave the last game injured. What are you yep. looking at as far as a a lineup um, for, for this week? Because it's kind of a it's kind of a mystery to me. At yeah, least it's from it's, the outside. I mean, like I, I do think it's a mystery for us inside too. Uh, my best guess, and again, this is like a guess because mm-hmm. I I don't know that. You know, we're usually pretty good about being able to predict lineups. This week is tough because Alonzo's out. Obviously, Morris is out. Dempsey is out. Marshall's out. I mean, that's four pretty important yeah. players. Uh, I don't know what happened today. Did uh, And I don't know. Did Martinique end up getting eliminated? Uh, I'm not sure that. I'm well, not sure because I think that other game. I hope it didn't matter because Jordy Gillum right. would have been, hopefully, isn't going to be starting regardless. But. Mm-hmm. Uh, in any case, my prediction, and this is a prediction not by any means what I would take to the to the bookie, is Bruin up top, jo- Joven Jones as left mid, Ladero is the center mid, Aaron Kovar is the right mid, 
and then Svensson and Roldan, hopefully, as the, as the, oh, wait, no, 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 sorry, Roldan and Ship. Ship. Okay. What my, that's my big prediction, is that Ship's going to be playing next to Roldan, and then you're going you're gonna to get uh, Nuhu Tolo, who's our rookie left back, kind of mm-hmm. exciting uh, player, but also kind of crazy. Yeah, uh, he's he's something to see. Yeah, um, he's it's like for every, better or for worse. It's like it's, everything's exclamation points. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he he like plays in all caps. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and then Svensson and Torres hopefully are the center backs. And then I think Brad Evans is probably going to end up starting at right back. Uh, but you could have any. You could kind of change one piece, and it's going to have this cascading effect all over the lineup. So like they might want to put Svensson in the in the as a defensive mid, and then they're going to bring Tony Alfaro in. They could bring Kevin Leardham uh, anywhere, you know, either as a as a midfielder or as a as a right back. So who knows? Mm. Uh, they could ha- even throw Brad Evans in as a center back, which would be a trip. Um, How long but, has Leardham actually been in Seattle and training? He, he got here um, like two weeks ago, so he's been okay. he's been training. It's just that he's in mm. you know he's in preseason form. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't know that he's necessarily. I I would. I almost. I assume that his paperwork is cleared now. There, there was some question as to whether or not his paperwork is cleared. I would mm. be a little surprised if his paperwork still isn't cleared, uh, given the way these things usually work. Uh, but I suspect that he'll be on the bench at the very least. Uh, and if they have the, you know, and it's like one of those things where if you have the bodies, if you have healthy Brad Evans, why are you gonna? force Kevin Leardham to right. start earlier than you need him to, especially since Brad Evans probably can't play 90 minutes, which is why Kevin Leardham's here. <laughs> well, I guess, um, I guess that brings me to the, the, our traditional final question, which I'm actually remembering. Uh, I think I've left it off multiple times. Um, if you were, if you were on the other side, uh, from Brian Schmetzer and you were having a coach against this Seattle team, what would be your basic game plan to, to get something out of this game? I mean, you've had a lot of success. Uh, various teams have had a lot of success, basically forcing the Sounders to break them down and mm. not let them get out on the break, not let them play quickly. And you know, and Toronto FC uh, was probably the best example of this when they came here. They were in the middle of like some crazy uh, fixture congestion. I think most of their big players were in the game, but they maybe Javinka was any. In any case, they really they put ten behind the ball, got a penalty, said thank you, and 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 ran out the door. Um, and I think that that's probably if you're playing against this Sounders team, I think that's probably your best bet is just defend like the Dickens and uh, hope you get a call to go your way, and or maybe snag a goal here or there. I mean, like teams have had success against them doing mm-hmm. this. I mean, New England had, like, 10% of the ball or whatever it was uh, in that 3-3 mm-hmm. yeah. tie. Yeah, that was, and that like was e- crazy. Every time they touched the ball was, like, out on a break. And, yeah. uh, and I feel like that game was the same day that DC did roughly the same thing at Atlanta. And so, like, the Revs and their complete disinterest in having the ball for more than two touches at a time, like, almost overshadowed it a little bit because right. it's, like, DC you know, defending countered against Atlanta, whereas the Rebs were like, please, no ball, except, like, one ball over the top, and a guy runs on to shoot. Yeah, so that's what I would do. That's definitely what I would do. Let's, something that DC has actually had a modest amount of success with, uh, bizarrely enough, um, 
I mean, they they did ride. The, I mean, that that was pretty much the plan in Atlanta, and it actually worked. So maybe I mean, Atlanta didn't have Will Bruin though, so yeah, I guess there's that too. Um, the <laughs> absolutely the most devastating goal scorer in MLS history, only in games against DC United. Um, all right, well, uh, Jeremiah, thanks for fielding our questions, uh, meandering uh, though they may be. Um, let our listeners know where they can find you on the internet. So I am on the internet on Twitter at Jeremiah O'Shan, the traditional spelling of both those. And, uh, I'm on, you can read me at Sounder at Heart, uh, which is a website that you may have, if you Google it, it will come up and, uh, you'll see things that I've That's true. Under I've, my I've seen it happen. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we will be back, uh, shortly with our, uh, we, there's another game to talk about. Of course, there's a back-to-back games very quickly. We, we got our break, our break and now it's back to the, uh, blizzard of, of soccer. So, uh, We'll be up next uh, talking about DC United versus Houston Dynamo. Stay with us. Welcome back to Filibuster. I, because why not jump back from two weeks off with some short rest? DC United are going to follow up their game in Seattle with a 2,800 mile flight and uh, a game against the Houston Dynamo at RFK Stadium. Just you know, three days later, like you do. Uh, that'll be uh, News Channel 8 uh, on Saturday night. But seriously, who makes this schedule? This is so dumb. <laughs> In every yeah. way, this Thanks is so dumb. <laughs> like, it's during the Gold Cup. It's it's a cross-country flight on short rest. It's right after a two-week break. There's so many things that are stupid about this schedule. And I, sorry, I, I couldn't in good faith, uh, talk about the game without just throwing whoever made this schedule onto the coals, because this is really dumb. It's really dumb. Anyway, uh, Houston currently third in the Western Conference with 28 points, which in a weird switch this year would be right on the red line if they were in the Eastern Conference. Instead, they're well above it in in the West. Uh, they Houston also has probably the most... Um, I guess idiosyncratic, the most the interesting uh, home away split. They have not lost a single game at home and they have not won a single game on the road. They've lost, in fact, seven of the nine games. They have two whole points on the road this year and hopefully DC United will, will keep them at that mark. Jason, what's what's the deal with Houston when they leave the friendly confines of BBVA Compass Stadium? So so far, I think the main problem for them has been an inability to cha- change their approach from home to away. And what I mean is, like, at home, they want to play transition. They've got a bunch of fast forwards, a lot of mobile guys, um, and they're really good at doing that when they're a front foot team at home. But when they go on the road and they have to be more cagey and more of a counterattacking team, it normally that would be very easy transition. That, that's a... Um, if you're a team with their roster, you'd think, oh, yeah, defending counter, that's like what this group is built to do. But they really struggle with the defend part of that equation when they go on the road. Um, and so they tend to fall behind. They just have a, a bad knack for falling behind and being unable to alter the game and get out of that um, game state situation where you're up one or you're down one nothing and you're on the road. Um it's already difficult enough to climb out of that, but they just find themselves in that hole a lot. 
and uh, they, you know, uh, Wilma Cabrera, the the coach this year, the new coach this year, he's tried a bunch of different things trying to uh, to get them out of that bind. He's uh, he's played a four three three. He's played a four four two diamond. Um, he's started Moro Minotas as a winger rather than as a forward. Um, there was a game where DeMarcus Beasley played as a left winger instead of as a forward or as a, instead of as a left back. Um, Albert Elise, uh, they brought in to be a designated player. He has not start. They've had him not start. They've had Romel Kyoto not start. Uh, they've tried to cycle a bunch of different guys through. Um, but it, it just seems like no matter what they do, the basic problem of, finding themselves give it, giving up a goal not really able not being able to control road games or not even so much control road games but like keep games within the confines that they want to keep them in um they just seem unable to get a hold of these uh games when they go on the road and they they suffer i mean it's not an accident they look like it's almost like two different teams um like if you sent them out on the road and they wore like a light green uh, and you call them, you know, instead of the Houston Dynamo, you call them like the Texas, uh, Texas soccer club. Um, you'd be like, wow, that Texas team is awful, but the Houston Dynamo are really great, uh, when you watch, when you watch them play because at home, everything works for them. But when they go on the road, they just, they're a mess. Is it possible they just grab 11 guys from the Texian army, their supporters group, and put them on the field when they go on the road? And in which case, two draws would look really, um, Impressive. Yeah, good for them. That would yeah. be uh, that would make them among the best supporters clubs at putting a, a team on the field to play actual soccer. Um, this, by the way, that should be a tournament. Uh, that would be supporters, awesome. not not necessarily individual supporters clubs from each MLS team, but an MLS Cup. There should definitely be a five on five or or sevens or or even threes or, or you know some kind of short sided game where supporters of each team because there's a media cup at mls cup every year why not have a supporters cup there i'd imagine That'd be the fun. supporters cup is probably a higher level of play than the media cup oh absolutely it would be that's uh, why it also, absolutely should happen you'd also have a ton more games also i want to uh, note that if 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 i do go to an mls cup i'm totally there to play media cup the uh, that's like 99 <laughs> unless dc is in the final like i don't care about the rest of it i'm there to play media cup and then probably have some drinks jason um, we know that you're a sucker for the pomp Oh yeah, the the fact that it would be like an organized game uh in which there'd be some conceptual thing on the line is immediately like oh this is this is what I need in my life. Um just all for right, just right. for a few minutes, just as a story I can tell myself. Just to get everything out there, would you be aiming to break ankles? And I don't mean with crossover. No, I I'm I'm just there to win the game. Um whatever it takes is what I'll what I what will be done. Um also, I feel like the site, as a site, we would be covering it as if it is a real game. <laughs> and you would be in the game. Dynamo. You would be in the game writing the the recap, or, or you know, maybe or at the very least. Um, no, I think Steven Streff could handle the recap, but maybe I could like, um, like a shout a headline suggestion at him from the field <laughs> during the game, um, because I can't get in and, and edit at that point. So I'll just yell to him like, "Hey." Uh, what do you think of this as a headline? And he'd be like, yeah, that's, that's pretty great. Also, you just let someone get past you because you were yelling at me. Um, and that'll be my cross to bear, which I will then in private be very upset at myself about for a long time. <laughs> and we would talk about it on this podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, with the gold cup ongoing, I know the dynamo are missing some pieces for this. Are any of those absences going to affect the way they approach this game? 
Uh, well, that depends because I haven't actually checked that because I spent yesterday drinking bourbon instead. Um, oh, fair enough. But uh, I can find that while I ramble. Um, Kubo Torres got called in. Um, that's a big deal. That's 12 goals. Uh, that's their leading goal scorer by far this year. Um, they do have players up front. They've got enough forward depth where they're still going to have a really good attack where they've got Manotas um, slotting in most likely in the middle. He's got five goals and four assists uh, despite not – he's started most of the season, but like 75% rather than like 95%. Um, so he's been very good. Um, so they'll slot him into the middle and um, they'll make do as far as that goes. But the fact that they're, they've – there will be missing their Hondurans is a, is a big deal. Um, because at that point you start to get into Andrew Wenger starting. Um, right. I mean, out, yeah, without Albert Elise out there in his right. speed, that's, that's a huge loss for them. Right. Where, where they're, they're going from, I mean, they, they might be able to shift some things around. They might, maybe they'll play the diamond again just to, um, uh, cover for the fact that they've lost, you know, when you play front three, that's great. But when you lose so many of your forwards with Elise, with Kyoto, with Torres, um, then you, you get, you know, they've got Vicente Sanchez who played with Col- or Colorado a couple of years ago. He's now 37 or 38. They haven't given him a start all year. Um, they've been very, or I think he started an open cup game. Um, but he should be fresh to play 60 to 70 minutes. Um, but yeah, they, they, it, it their starting lineup won't look too ridiculous, but they might, once they start making subs, it might be guys that people are just, guys that just aren't getting minutes. Someone like Memo, Memo Rodriguez, who has played 67 minutes in MLS this year, um, he might be their first sub off the bench. Um, Jose Escalante, who I think they had on loan last year, and then it looked like they were not going to keep him, and then they opted to. Um, there's also some sort of bizarre situation I couldn't really follow with him spending at least some of his time with their um, their affiliate, the Rio Grande uh, Toros. But I think he was like a Toros player on loan with the Dynamo while also playing for the Toros on loan from Honduras. Like I said, it's a bizarre situation that I guess meets the rules because no one is saying, well, he can't play. Um, but yeah, the, like their lineup isn't going to be too bottom of the barrel, but if they have to go to the subs bench, they might have a problem. Um, they also might do, like I mentioned Beasley playing as a as a winger instead of as a fullback, and that might come up again. Um, Dylan Remick is their other left back, and he's got four years of MLS experience. He was a part-time starter in Seattle. He's a part-time starter in, in Houston. He's, he's played, I've got like 600 minutes or so, I think. Um, so, it's not like they have no left back. So they have an option to move things around. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting, but it's not going to be a, like, who are these players lineup? They're not going to get to that level. So put yourself in Ben Olsen's uh, usually very nice shoes. How are you game planning for Houston this weekend? Uh, I think a major thing is managing uh defensive transition so they can't break out um that's even though even with them missing those speedy players and missing those attackers um they're still a team that they do their work in transition this isn't really a slow build-up team this isn't a team that has held a ton of possession this season a lot lot of times they're i mean they're not as low on that table as dc but they're definitely not a 
team looking to hold the ball for 60% of the time. Um, they're probably going to sit a little deep. They're probably going to be conservative and try and hit DC on the counter. Um, DC has got to manage the ball and, and use it to open their opponent up. Um, they've shown flashes of being able to do that almost all the way, but then they, they get to that last step and they can't quite make it work. Um, so being, I mean, that's part of the deal with the whole season. That's not a tactical problem. That's just a, like, we're not good at, um, a finished product in the attacking end. Um, they've got to be good about that, but the major, the major focus has to be on being better in defensive transition so that the dynamo aren't breaking out. And the other thing is, um, set piece defense is going to be enormous because Houston's been good on set pieces and DC has been dreadful on set pieces. Not actually, I don't think they've been the worst team in MLS at defense or at uh, defending set pieces, but they've been not far from it. Um, and they've got, they can't give up a set piece goal in this game because I think, especially if Houston goes up one, nothing, um, you get that here we go again feeling and, uh, that it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I think United, they need to be at their best early um, from opening kickoff. They need to go and, and capitalize on, they can't just come out, play well, but not actually do anything with it. Um, there really needs to be an emphasis on starting well and, and actually doing something with that good start. Um, and, and, you know, forcing that, like I mentioned earlier, Houston's got that knack of falling behind. Um, force them to fall behind. They've only scored. I'm I'm looking at this now. I think they've only got six goals away from home all season. Um, so with DC's offensive struggles and Houston on the road being are possibly worse <laughs> than DC at scoring goals, this has a distinct feeling of first goal wins. Um, and United needs to make sure they're not getting caught when they throw numbers forward. They're not getting caught on a break because that's where Houston's done most of their work this year. So I know that's usually our last question, but I am curious with the insane travel and short rest, despite coming off a two-week break, how much squad rotation do you guys think there's going to be in this one? Because I could I could see Ben Olsen saying, listen, we need every single point possible. I have to ride pretty close to the line, and so we're not going to rotate that much. I could also see him saying, listen, if we lose a big number of starters again then we are absolutely sunk. So I need to make sure that we we keep everyone at least a little bit fresh for this run-in and not play uh, 90 minutes and then fly 2,800 miles and play 90 minutes more within a, a three-day span. So I, I'm honestly curious what kind of squad rotation we're likely to see. I don't think it'll be that much because it's a Wednesday game, a Saturday game, and then for the next month it's just all saturday games so uh and ben olsen has options uh because sean franklin is slightly back uh so he'll probably see some time if not he i don't think he'll start but he'll see some time uh same for nick de Leon. i think he'll see some time to be able to spell people and yeah you've got to win these games but you after this break you can throw your starters in there for two straight games and then they have a week, a week, a week, a week, uh, and are back in the back in the swing of things. So, I think it's going to be the 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 starting eleven for both of these games. I I think there might be a, a couple changes. We might see like the Corb Odoyachem rotation at right back, um, but outside of that, and maybe one of the wingers will be rotated. You know, maybe. Uh, 
maybe Nagel plays at Seattle and then um, Sam starts against Houston, something like that. Um, but beyond that, there aren't too many other options. I mean, with, with Jose Ortiz released and Patrick Mullins, I don't think he's ready to start appearing yet. Deshaun Brown's probably going to have to start two games in a row up front. Um, Lucho is probably going to play both games. I don't think, uh, going I think he's going to play as a sub, but he's not going to get rotated in for one, uh, as a starter. Um, maybe the Jeffrey and Marcelo rotation continues, but I feel like we might be looking at, you know, one or two changes at the most. Um, and it's because of Adam, what you said, the, the fact that, uh, DC can't leave points on the board anymore. Um, this home game against Houston has to be three. And I think, um, they need, honestly, they're far enough behind and they're, they're in enough of a bad spot where they kind of need to go get a point in Seattle. Um, it's not a must get a point, but, uh, it would be pretty important if they, if they could pull something out and, and get a draw there. Um, it, yeah, they're under pressure. They don't have the luxury of getting to rest guys and getting to, um, plan for further down the road. They've kind of got to look at what's right in front of their face and just try and win a game because it's, it's been like that. I mean, they're at the bottom for a reason. As nice as it was to end the the first segment on a high note, uh, if you go back that far, um, I I guess we have to end the show on on that note. And hopefully next week, DC United will give us a better way to end the show. But until then, thank you for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com or on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu, uh, for the website, Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, the podcatcher of your choice. Uh, mostly, though, tell a friend about us and check out us. Check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster. We will talk to you real soon. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. George, George Romero, rest in peace. There's a man going around taking names, and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down. <laughs>